for what you're asking. Your photos are likely all digital now, stored on phones or hard drives, small memory cards and computing clouds. You might be old enough to remember walking into the pharmacy, a teenage boy in a lab coat handing you your pictures in an envelope, the fluorescent lights barreling off the gloss finish. You might never have developed your own photos before. It's a laborious process with red light, plastic tongs, and chemical baths. Developer, stop bath, fixing solution. It's been almost 20 years since I worked in a dark room, developed my own photographs, but I remember the smells of those chemicals, their pungency lingering still in the recesses of my own memory cloud. If you asked me what they smelled like, I could tell you. I would say they smelled like it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday by boys to men. That was the music I heard the first time I entered a dark room in the wood shop of my junior high school. In seventh grade, we had learned drafting, T-squares, and number three pencils. We built birdhouses, hammering in the nails, sanding the wood, forgetting to wear our protective eye gear. Mine was a wreck, condemned before bird ever caught sight of it. My father was a woodworker. He built much of my childhood home, as well as beautifully crafted pieces. A small dark wood box from my mother, the clothes hamper outside our bathroom. His grandfather had been a coffin maker in Scotland, but made sure to fill his daughter's home with exquisitely carved woodwork. The built-in shelving, the serpentine banister that led to the second floor of my grandmother's home, further etched the history of the woodwork into my family's story. I was born, however, with Fitzpatrick hands, in delicate meat mitts with short, squat fingers, palms as big as saucers. My maternal grandfather had these hands, and in the photos where I am an infant cradled in his arms, his hands imposed themselves on the frame. They were blunt instruments, not built for detail work. I cannot blame it all on genetics. I was also not one for focused, repetitive work. Whatever I cut I made in the wood suited my purposes. A cursory sanding was all that was required. Every joint was straight enough. I wasn't built to be a woodworker, nor was I built to want to be a woodworker. I gave the birdhouse to my mother, never wanting to show it to my father. I knew it would only disappoint him, even though he would never let it show. His yard was also filled with birds. In my mother's yard, an empty birdhouse would not be as conspicuous. Photography was another of my father's hobbies that I took no interest in. He had been a baby photographer in college and had kept an SLR camera with him my whole life. His albums contained plenty of pictures of me and my sisters at parks and beaches and nature trails, but also of landscapes, places he'd been, places he'd visited. I never had much interest in looking at those. But in eighth grade, things were different. Our shop unit was photography. And while in our shop teacher's introduction, it appeared this would be another detailed-oriented task I would fail to excel in, it offered an unexpected benefit. I would be in the dark room with girls. And they listened to boys to men. I didn't care at the time for their brand of R&B, but for the several weeks I shared the dark room with the girls of eighth grade, it became as much of the experience as the dim light, the acrid smell of the stop bath. Mr. McCusker defined the word avuncular. He was short and barrel-bodied, with a hasty comb-over and push-broom mustache. 
but in a school where the few male teachers were viewed with suspicion by my newly nubile female classmates, not a person on earth would have ever felt ill at ease around Mr. McCusker, for what was literally the most dangerous room in the building, the chemicals, the saws, the errant sparks, everyone felt safe in our wood shop. He gave each of us a discarded SLR camera and a roll of film to take photos around the school. There was a list of shots he wanted us to take so that we could get used to the different features of the cameras, learn how to focus, adjust the shutter speed, the f-stops. The first few days I dutifully attempted to take the pictures on the list. I remember shooting a photo of the hallway outside the shop through the wire glass door, focusing first on the wire and then on the hallway beyond it. After filling up the roll, I could take it into the dim red light of Motown Philly to develop the film. It was a small room, and so you were always in close proximity to one another. Things weren't so cramped that we touched, but it was tight enough that bumping into one another was always a possibility. As a 13-year-old, the proximity to these girls was enough. That I could sense their bodies close to mine was more thrilling than anything else I could imagine. One day I was walking through the halls when I discovered a strip of negative outside the bathrooms, abandoned to the scuff of jelly sandals and Reebok pumps. I held it up to the light, mere curiosity, and a secret unknown to me laid revealed. The girls were taking pictures of each other. The strip had five or six negatives on it, each picture of some arrangement of girls. Jill and Lila outside the cafeteria, Amanda and Ricky Ann at the end of the eighth grade hallway, a solo photo of Janine, another of Kim. I spirited away the negative and returned to science class, high on this new information. Of course, Mr. McCusker wasn't to account for every picture of every roll of film you developed. Of course, he assumed some photos would be too out of focus, too dark, too light. He just wanted to see the photos you took that were on the list. We could take pictures of whatever we wanted. Thus began my lifetime of photographing girls. I know at a basic level to the girls in my class I was nearly as avuncular as McCusker himself. There was nothing threatening about me, nothing enticing either. So when I approached any number of them in the cafeteria with my camera and said, smile, why wouldn't they? When I asked them to get into the frame with me, take a group shot, it was harmless and innocuous and all in good fun. And it was. I did nothing untoward with the pictures I took. I always asked to take them, never secreted a snap from an unaware distance. And while I developed the pictures and looked at them, I never obsessed over them. But with a quarter century behind all of this now, the painful truth is I was collecting them, as if they were baseball cards or antique stamps. Because the feeling of being in the dark room, of hearing on bended knee in the low crimson light, of feeling like Sarah or Katie might brush up against me at any moment, it was intoxicating, but it was fleeting. It was nothing I could hold in my hand. Looking back, so much of my life has been about striving to hold on to moments and memories. The camera became a tangible way to do that. But it came at a cost. It was easier and more satisfying in the moment to take a picture of a girl than to risk opening up emotionally to her. I couldn't tell Stacy that I liked her, but I could ask her to smile for me and capture that moment, that feeling, printed on photographic paper and pretend it was real, because I could keep it and hold it. You cycle through special areas like woodshop, and after a few weeks, it was time to design album covers in art class or play pinfall in P.E. I secreted one print out of the shop. It was me in the cafetorium of our school, seated in a straight-back chair, four girls leaning over my shoulders. My arms were folded across my chest, my eyebrows arched like prone commas. I wrote, having a good time, 
wish you were here, in ballpoint pen in the gutter room of the photo, then place it under a clear plastic mat on the writing desk in my room. I had an old Smith Corona typewriter on my desk, and I would sit there and look at the photo while I wrote, typing out poems and lyrics and stories about the guy I saw in the picture, inventing an imagined life for him that I could put in song. That summer, my father got me a used Pentax camera and set up a dark room for me in his basement. My sister also had gotten into photography as well, and ostensibly we shared it. I initially made prints from that found negative I had secreted away, four girls arm-in-arm arm, coming down the 8th grade hallway. The resulting photo was poorly focused. I could tell who each of the girls were, but in the final picture, only their smiles are truly discernible. But ultimately, there was something sad about the whole process. Being in the dark room didn't seem as captivating next to my father's washer and dryer as it had with the girls in the wood shop. In printing photos I hadn't taken, hadn't been a part of in any way, that the subjects of which had no idea I had in possession, it seemed a violation. It felt like grave robbing. But from that point on, I became the kid with the camera. Local bands asked me to come shoot their rehearsals. Girls asked me to take glamour shots for them. When we had a substitute teacher in French, I turned the whole class into my subjects. I wasn't a particularly good photographer. I never really mastered selecting the proper shutter speed or adjusting the f-stops. I didn't always correspond the speed of film I was using to the event I was shooting. As such, my photos were often dark, marred by the motion lines of my subject in low light. But I had a decent compositional eye. What I saw through the viewfinder was always a good picture. It was mechanics of the camera, the science of captured light that got in the way. It was a disinterest in learning those things, and bettering my dominion over them that leaves me now with boxes of blurry photos. But I couldn't let them go. I eventually acquired an automatic camera, a point-and-shoot that could usually fit in my pocket. I'd fill roll after roll with the people who populated my day. My friends, of course, but also those I wished were my friends, and those I wished might be more, as well as my teacher, cafeteria workers, grumpy custodians. I left the dark room to my sister, the time I spent mixing chemicals, patiently exposing the photo paper, and then putting in the various chemical baths was better spent living my life, taking the photographs, and somehow pretending the two were the same thing. I continued being the guy with the camera throughout my college years, capturing the bacchanalian excesses in the places I'd wander. My photos became more focused while the subjects themselves became more blurry. There's a drawer full of those photos. Red cups held aloft, Cigarette-lit fingers grazing too close to hair, the closed-eyed, the red-eyed, the patina of smile. Another drawer is from my years as a high school teacher. I was the yearbook advisor, and thanks to an unfortunate car accident with the proprietor of the local photo studio, I was also the school photographer. I had purchased a digital SLR camera, and free from the limitations of film, filmed up memory card after memory card with school plays and field hockey games and National Honor Society induction ceremonies. And at every school event, I would wander into the crowd, find the students I knew, and take their photos. These were useful to fill out the yearbook, to get candid shots of kids who weren't necessarily going to be featured on the athletic pages. I was also a young guy less than a decade away from the students. I was much closer in age to them to the most of my colleagues. Being a photographer gave me an excuse to stand with them, sit in their sections of the bleachers. I wasn't ready to be a grown-up yet. When I left the yearbook position, I more or less left photography behind. I'd snap pictures with my camera phone here and there, but by that point, we were all amateur photographers. There was no need to be the guy with the camera anymore. We were all documenting everything around us all the time. 
I had been alone in archiving everything so fastidiously for so long, keeping the official record of the time we had all shared. It felt disheartening to be made so redundant, so null. Everyone was a filleted us now. I think about my photo collection a lot these days. It rarely comes in handy, although there have been a few anniversary events where my archival skills have been called into use. A call went out to supplies, photos for our 15th high school reunion, and standing at the collage with my ginger ale in hand, I saw how many were my photos. I looked into all those smiling faces, then turned to their older, real-life counterparts, finding myself at a loss for what to say. How well did I know these people? How often had I let the pictures stand alone? Felt like the smile was all I needed. How many moments did I miss for the moments I captured? How much of this was just to trick myself into thinking the smiles were for me, to produce doctored evidence that I was loved? The reunion organizer got herself as blurry as one of my 15-year-old photo- photographs and departed a bit early. Her companion loaded the collages into the back of the car before I could rescue my donated snapshots, but I felt a weight lift in watching them go. I didn't attend my 20th reunion. I am now a photographer of my children. From the second each of them was born, I have been documenting their life. Their first steps, first solid food, first days of school. But I do my best to capture as many moments of the in-between as I can. I catalog the photos and dated folders on my hard drive, post them in online albums for family and friends to see. This feels different somehow. That maybe when I am gone, these photos will serve as a way to remind my son and daughter that they were loved, that the life I am constructing for them was good and warm, with better, more secure joints. My photo collection is all in drawers in our downstairs living room. At one point, they were all organized, but years of rifling and moving have caused them to shuffle around, the joker now lost in the deck. I don't know if I'll ever have the interest or the energy to sort them again. So I imagine they'll stay sealed unobserved. What will these faces mean to my children when they're grown? Will they sort through them jigsaw pieces without a complete picture and imagine these eyes looking at their father before he was their father? Will the pictures tell them anything about me? Perhaps they will just toss them, just scatter them to the wind like little lost sparrows wishing I'd spent the time building more birdhouses. Thank you.